The following audio is from Abner Creek Baptist Church. For more information, visit www.abnercreekbaptist.com. As our children leave, let me invite you to take your copy of God's Word and open to Ephesians chapter 6. We are nearing the end of the book of Ephesians together. We've been in this for some time, walking verse by verse. And today, Lord willing, we'll walk through verses 5 through 9. Now, as we have been walking through this, uh, chapter 5, verses 21 through today, chapter 6, verse 9, it's this section. It's referred to as the hostafel. I'm probably not saying that correctly, uh, but it's a term that was coined by Martin Luther almost 500, right around 500 years ago, um, and it, it really just means the house table or the house codes. And what Paul has been doing as he's walking through is he's giving instructions for the Christian family. And in these instructions, he has included certain groups. We've looked at length at the relationship between husbands and wives. We moved on from there, and we looked at the the relationship between parents and children. And then today, we're going to look at the relationship between bondservants or slaves and masters. Now, as soon as I say that, um, it brings up all sorts of emotion, most of them negative, because we have history in this country that is, that is more than a blight on the, the history of this nation. It, it, is, it is a period of sin where men were stolen and owned as property. I want to show you today that uh, I, I'm not trying to justify anything, but I want you to see what Paul is doing here when he's adding on this issue of slavery and the relationship there between slaves and masters, and he, he lumps it into this house table or house code instructions for the family, and he includes it with husbands, wives, children, parents, slaves, masters. Slavery was, was such a part of the society in the first century Rome, in, that, in the Roman Empire, that Paul includes it here. Uh, it's estimated that some 60 million slaves existed in the Roman Empire there in the first century. 60 million. As many as one-third of the population of large cities like Rome and Corinth and Ephesus would have been slaves. One-third of the population. Some members of the Ephesian church were, were, what this meant was that some of them would be masters and others would be slaves. And so this would create this dynamic in the church. What I said to begin with when I came and I said, I'm so glad that we come together and there are people from all sorts of different backgrounds and stages of life and we come together around the cross. This was, it's not unique to us. It was happening in the first century church that there were slaves and masters who were Christians doing life together in the context of the church. And this is what is going on here. And one of the questions that we want to ask up front is the elephant in the room is why doesn't Paul here in our passage, you'll hear in just a minute, why doesn't he just automatically condemn slavery? Why doesn't he call for it to be ended, abolished right off the bat? Well, most people, when we think of slavery, we think of this Western colonial American African slave trade. But that's not what's going on here. And the slavery here that Paul is addressing Uh, There were some things that that were were true of it that were not true of the the slavery that we are thinking of. Slavery in America's history is, it was Uh, race-based. People were stolen and they were owned as property. They had very little, if any, possibility of freedom. 
They were not permitted to, to, to learn to read or to write. They couldn't own property. They couldn't vote. And over this type of slavery, not only is the Bible not silent, but Paul isn't silent. He says in another, another one of his letters to 1 Timothy in chapter 1, verse 10, the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient. And then he goes on to define who those lawless and disobedient are. And one of the definitions, he says, enslavers, which is a word that means man-stealers. And so Paul is definitely condemning slavery. But slavery in the Greco-Roman world in the first century was very different. You could not look at a person's color of skin and, and deem whether or not that was a slave. It wasn't based on skin color at all. It wouldn't, it wouldn't have mattered. There were people from all different uh, ethnicities that would have been slaves. Many of them, uh, well, rather than being kidnapped and forced into slavery, many of them found themselves in slavery because they sold themselves into slavery in order to pay off debts. There was no bankruptcy system that existed, and so to avoid many times going to prison for outstanding debts, they would sell themselves into slavery to then work off that debt. And it was a, it was a system that was set up to, to actually to help. It was... Um, it was a way that some could actually earn Roman citizenship, who were not Roman by birth, but they could become citizens by selling themselves into slavery. Uh, owners often, in first century slavery in the Roman Empire, they often encouraged their, their bond servants or their slaves to actually go and get an education. Uh, it was good business practice for them because it only helped them uh, as, as they improved their station in life. Many of, many of the slaves of that day, they were workshop managers and household managers, accountants, tutors, personal secretaries, sea captains, physicians. It wasn't uncommon for a person who was maybe a slave master to go to see the doctor, and the doctor would have been a slave. And this is just part of the culture of the day. Many of them, they, they were indeed permitted to work and to save money, and to own property. Many of them saved their money and bought their freedom early. In fact, very few ever made it past the age of 30 as a slave. Um, over, over 50% of them were, were freed before the age of 30. And so slavery in this day is way different than the slavery that sits in American history. But still, even over this kind of slavery, Paul says... Is evil. He's not here in our passage going to come out and condemn it or call for its abolition, but he is going to work for its, it, its being put away. Paul understood that the issue of slavery was so ingrained into society, where as, many, as much as one-third or 60 million slaves existed, that if he were to immediately call for all Christians to abolish slavery, that it would have, it would have crippled the society, and it would have crippled the economy. That there would have been many who would have, if Paul calls for this, many overnight would have had no way to earn a living. Overnight, many of them would have to go into prison and be separated from loved ones because they couldn't pay off debts. And so Paul, he is going to condemn this, and he is going to work for its, 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 uh, its, its end, but he's going about it in a wise way. He's going to let the gospel do the work. 
here in our passage today. Uh, he's going to address masters of slaves, and he's going to call for them to treat their slaves the way they would want to be treated. In, in the book of Philemon, Onesimus is this runaway slave, and, and Paul writes this letter to Philemon, his, his owner, and Paul doesn't call him a slave in that. At one point in, in, uh, in Philemon, Paul calls him his child, his son, and a few verses later, he calls him his brother. And what Paul is doing there is subtle, and you might miss it, but what Paul is doing is he's saying to Philemon, you can no longer treat a brother in this way. And he's letting the gospel work at the heart to destroy slavery. And this is what we're going to see as we walk through this today. Well, how, how should we apply this then? I mean, none of us have been slaves, and none of us have owned slaves. And so this is one of those that you might be tempted to check out. But the reality for us is this is not, we're not going to apply this at the level of slavery, but at the level of employer-employee. That you, many of you are, are working, and you indeed have a boss, or a master, if you will. Many of you are the boss, and you have those that work underneath you. Let me just do a little poll here. Um, if you are still working outside the home, still bringing home a paycheck, would you just lift up your hand? Okay, that's, that's a lot of us in this room. Okay, if you are retired, uh, raise your hand. Okay, how many of you are in retirement working as hard or harder in retirement than you ever did? Yeah, exactly. You know why? Because those of us who are still working, we take advantage of you. We know you got all kinds of time, and so we don't have to feel bad at all to come to you and say, hey, can you help me with this? And all of a sudden, you are busy. Students in the room, how many students that are in the room? You're either you're in school of some sort. Raise your hand. Yeah. You still, you'll apply it this way, that you are a student that has to come up under a teacher, under a principal, some sort that is over you. And so that's how I want us to apply this today. As we walk through this passage, I want us to see that, um, that while it may seem outdated, it is very much relevant for our lives. So let's read, if you will, follow along with me as I read verses 5 through 9 of Ephesians chapter 6. Bond servants or slaves, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ. Not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as, a bond, as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bond servant or is free. Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no partiality with him. Today I want to just ask the question, first point, who's the boss? Who's the boss? Here in verse 5 it starts out, bond servants, which in our, in our uh, application today would be those employees, obey your earthly masters, and those would be bosses, or students, teachers, however it fits. But I want you to notice what the Bible here says. When it says, bond servants, obey your earthly masters, let me just ask, what type of master 
What does the text say? You can speak out. Do y'all have a Bible in front of you? Shame on you if you don't. You have no excuse to not have a Bible in this day of electronics. You should have something in front of you. It says your earthly masters, right? That's what it says. Obey your earthly masters. To qualify there, for Paul to, to add any description to masters means that he's implying that there is more than one master. And he's referring here to your earthly master, but he, he's differentiating here between your earthly masters and at least another master of sorts. To which we would, if we're studying the Bible, I'm trying to help you here to learn how to study your Bible. If you see that, then is there anything else in the passage that gives us a clue as to the, the identity of the other master? And I would say to you, yes. There is a word or a phrase that is repeated over and over again. Let me show it to you. Look at your Bibles. Verse 5. As you would Christ. Verse 6. As bondservants of Christ. Verse 7, as to the Lord. Verse 8, from the Lord. Verse 9, he who is both their master and yours is in heaven. So who is it that's in heaven at this point? Is it not the risen Christ who has ascended to the right hand of the Father? And Paul's point in this is that it's the point of the entire passage is that no matter who your earthly master is, whoever your earthly boss is, your real boss as a Christian is Jesus. You work for him before you work for anyone else. And this, getting this, will revolutionize your work. Whether you are an employee or an employer or a student or a teacher, fill in the blank, You are to work, verse 9 says, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and there is no partiality with him. You are to understand, I am to understand, that regardless of who my boss is, my boss ultimately is Jesus. I sit in a room where I have all of you, if you're a church member here, you're all my boss in one extent. Now, God calls me to lead here. He calls pastors to lead and to shepherd the flock. But in a sense, I'm responsible for you, and I answer to you in some degree. Now, I can come to this, and I can fear man, and I can walk around doing my job saying, well, you know, they didn't like that, and, and she didn't like that, or whatever the case may be. And I can, I can walk around in fear of man, and, and in an attempt to please someone's preference here, I can offend someone over here. Or I can do my job to say, my ultimate boss is Jesus. And let me do what he has called me to do and let him handle the rest. And that's what I think God is calling us to in this passage today. Perhaps you're here and you'd be tempted to say, well, I don't think God really cares about my work. I mean, why would God care about my work? I mean, my job. I, it's a, it's, maybe it's menial for you. Maybe it's repetitive. Maybe it's boring. God doesn't care about my work, Pastor. Well, obviously he does. Obviously he cares about your work because we're reading of his concern today. We're reading what he has preserved for us because he, the sovereign creator of the universe, has deemed it necessary that we know it. So God does care about your work. 
What distinguished this passage from the secular writing of the day is that Paul here actually addresses the slave. No one else would have done this. In Roman extra-biblical writings, they would have all day long addressed masters. And there were certain reforms that had taken place that had really helped those who were slaves and, and calling masters to certain behavior. But never did any of those Roman writers ever actually address the slave. But Paul here starts off with the slave. And he gives four times as much instruction to the slave as he does to the master. If you are here today and you are an employee in some way, God is saying to you, your work matters. I care about your work. The gospel always elevates people. It never degrades or devalues them. And here Paul elevates the the, the person who is the slave. And even in your menial job, whatever it may be, God says, I care about it. My point is this, that Jesus today is your boss and that he cares about your work. So the second question that I would ask is, if Jesus is our boss, then how should we work? And this is where I'll spend the majority or the rest of the remainder of our time together as we walk through this. When Jesus is your boss, let me just give you some things that are are revealed to us in this passage. When Jesus is your boss, number one, you can respect your earthly boss. If Jesus is your boss, then it's not really that much of a stretch for you to respect your earthly boss. Verse 5, he says to obey them with fear and trembling. Now, that phrase, fear and trembling, those words are meant to, meant to, uh, to, to point to, if we're talking about to God, it is, it is more than respect. It's not less than respect, but it's more than respect in that it's an actual fear. When, when, when we look at God, when we come into God's presence, when we, when we read of or experience His mighty works, then there is reason for us to tremble. If you and I don't have the relationship with Jesus and we're not made right with with God through Jesus, if 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 the veil is not torn, if we don't have direct access to him, then don't you think we ought to tremble before God? I mean, this is the same God who... When when the the beast stumbled there with with the ark and Uzziah reaches out to, to just catch it, to keep it from hitting the dirt... This God is so holy that even even in this act of of good intention, the holiness of God kills Uzziah on on, on the spot. We have reason to fear. We have reason to tremble. But this is talking about earthly masters. Does it mean the same thing? Does it mean that you show up tomorrow morning or whatever your schedule is and you you just have this fear of your boss and you walk away afraid of, of what she's going to say or what he's going to do? Is this what he's talking about? No, fear and trembling toward man is never going to be the same as it is toward God. When the Bible here says, when Paul says, obey your earthly master with fear and trembling, he is talking about show them respect. Don't you think that first century slaves had trouble with this every now and then? Don't you think that, that first century slaves, I mean, occasionally had a little bit of trouble respecting their masters? 
I mean, imagine, imagine a, a Christian slave who's, who's come to know Jesus, who's in this church, but he, he lives under and works for a non-Christian master. Don't you think he has at times, or she has at times, trouble showing respect to this non-believing master? And she probably looks at his life and sees how, how difficult it is to respect her master because at times he does things that are unethical, perhaps immoral, They're certainly ungodly. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. It's at times very difficult if you're working as a Christian for a secular boss. It is hard at times for you to show respect to them. But if Jesus is your boss, then you can show them respect. The flip side to that is for a Christian slave who was working for and living under the house of a Christian master... It would have been hard for, at times, that slave to show respect to a Christian master because all of a sudden, we're equal in the gospel. And therefore, it would be tempting for this this person to presume upon the equality there and think that, how dare they have any authority over me? I I can do what I want, and they need to treat me a different way. You may find it difficult to respect your earthly boss. Because nothing you ever do is ever good enough. Your bosses, their expectations are unrealistic. They're never appreciative to you at all. This makes it difficult for you to respect your earthly boss. Maybe your boss has always been in management and they have never been in your shoes. Everything for them is theory. But they don't have any practical experience with what you do. And therefore, it's easier for them to come in and tell you what would work better And you know. But even in that, you're called to show respect. Perhaps your boss is indeed immoral, ungodly, unethical. And it's hard for you as a believer to go and respect them. Maybe your boss is just an overall jerk. It's really hard for you to show respect. But the Bible here calls, just like last week I said, you know, to the children, they were hoping that I found some loophole that it didn't really say obey your parents. Well, in the same way, you're hoping with that boss that you just, man, it's hard for you to respect. You're hoping, I'm going to say, if he's a jerk, then you're off the hook. But that's not the case. Paul here, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling. He doesn't say, depending on how they behave or how they manage you, he says, show them respect. But here's, here's the key to this. It might be hard for you to show respect to your earthly boss, but I would remind you that you don't work ultimately for your boss. You serve the king. And when you serve the king, then you can show respect to the one who he's called you to be under. The way you respect your earthly boss is to respect your heavenly boss, and your earthly boss just happens to benefit in the process. Number two. Before I go to number two, you're going to see me fidgeting with this thing all day long. And this is on camera. This is going to be on YouTube. We're breaking in a new microphone today. And this thing is riding up all over the place. And so I apologize. It's distracting for those of you who are like OCD and I keep doing this. I mean, I'm driving you nuts. I understand it. But this thing's driving me nuts. Okay. So uh, I'm just going to keep messing with it. We'll try to get it worked out next week. All right. Number two, when Jesus is your boss... You do your work, your work wholeheartedly. 
what it says there in verses 5 and 6. Two phrases there. In verse 5, with a sincere heart. Verse 6, doing the will of God from the heart. I think that's verse 6, maybe verse 5. Um, anyway, you, when Jesus is your boss, you do your work wholeheartedly. The word here, sincere, means singleness of heart. It means undivided loyalty. It's having no ulterior motives. It's, it's being without hypocrisy whatsoever. Verse 6 there says, not by way of eye service as people pleasers. And this is what he's, he's hinting at. He's, he's helping us to further understand what it means to serve God wholeheartedly. He's saying, don't just do it when people are watching. You know anybody like that? Let me just throw myself under the bus. Uh, working out at the gym, CrossFit, doing all that kind of stuff. I'm dying over there a lot of the times. But Jonathan, the owner and trainer and coach, it'll be a day when we've got all these burpees. If you don't know what a burpee is, I'm not going to show you today because I would bust some clothing or, or mess this mic up even more. But I, you know, I'm having to go down, kick my feet straight back, hop my feet straight back up after a push-up, stand up, clap my hands, all this kind of stuff. It is crazy. It's like, the, it's like death by hokey pokey is what it feels like, all right? Well, there's a right way to do this, and there's a wrong way to do this. When Jonathan is looking, oh, man, I'm textbook. I'm all about it, man. Those legs straight back, full push-up, chest to the ground, back up. I'm all about it, right? But if I notice Jonathan has turned his back and walked away, don't you think I'm not just stepping back into that thing, getting up on one knee, you know, you know clap my hands so you'll hear that, you know? And isn't this the way some people work? When the boss is around, when, 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 when he or she is, is watching, them, oh man, they're all about it. They are worker B and they are all on it. But the reality is when the boss steps away, they let up and they slack. But this is not supposed to be the case for the Christian For the one who takes the name of Christ and who claims to follow Him, this is not the way we are to show respect or to work for our earthly bosses. Remember, Jesus is your boss and He cares about your work. That's not to mark the one who works for Jesus. If, if, If I go to work, you go to work, And you only work when your boss is looking. When your boss is not around, you're slacking off or or surfing the internet on Amazon trying to figure out where you're going to find this or that. Who in that moment are you ultimately serving? I would venture to say that you're not serving your earthly boss. And you're certainly not serving Jesus. In that moment, you are serving you. And you are doing what feels good to you. And God calls us away from that. That's why in Colossians 3.17, he says, And whatever you do, in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. When Jesus is your boss, you do your work wholeheartedly, all in. Number three, when Jesus is your boss, you do your work expectantly. When Jesus is your boss, you do your work expectantly. And this is what I mean in verse 8. Whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord. Notice here, remember the context. He's talking to slaves and masters. And he says to them, he does not give them any promise here of immediate freedom. 
He doesn't say to them, okay, you're, I'm, I'm calling for an end of slavery. You're out. You're free. Yippee. He doesn't say that at all. Instead, he doesn't give them this promise of, of immediate release from slavery, only the promise of this future payday. And for some, it may be way in the future. And in the middle of it, he says, endure. Obey your earthly master with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, doing the will of God completely with a pure heart. He gives them this promise that one day you will be repaid, but until then endure. And this promise of a future payday is the motivation for appropriate living today. And it was, the, it was that way for those who he's writing to then, and it is that way for us today. We may not see the rewards today of all that we put in, but we are not called to work for the rewards of today. We are called to work for the future payday when Jesus will come and he will give back what is deserved. Undoubtedly, the service of many slaves went unnoticed by their masters. Some of them probably, when, when they went unnoticed, they performed certain tasks and their master didn't even notice. Maybe they went out of their way next time and they went out of their way to, to catch the eye of this master, but he still didn't notice. They didn't have to respond that way. They don't have to respond that way because ultimately it doesn't matter if the master ever sees them or not because nothing will ever escape the all-seeing gaze of Jesus. We looked at this the other night and, and started walking through the book of Revelation on Wednesday night. just want to put a shameless plug in there. Um, I'm, I've gone through chapter 1 and we're going to walk through Revelation. So if you're interested, I'd love to have you 645 on Wednesdays. All kinds of things going on around this place. But the other night, we looked at this in Revelation 1, verse 14, and it described the resurrected Jesus in this way. His eyes were like a flame of fire. And what it means there is that he has these eyes, not like shooting flames of fire, but it is this picture that nothing gets past. Nothing escapes the gaze of the resurrected Jesus. And we talked about that this is sometimes scary, because God sees everything, and the things that we do that we know that we shouldn't do, we're not getting away with that, and that should cause us to fear and tremble. But here's the good side of this, that when we do obey, when we obey from a pure heart saying, God, take my actions and glorify yourself through this, then Jesus doesn't miss that either. It doesn't matter if your earthly boss sees it or not, Jesus sees it. And I think this is what's intended when, when the Bible says things like, it's possible for you to lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. And we work today knowing that Jesus will reward. There at the end of verse 8, he says, this future payday, it won't matter whether you are bondservant or free. You may today feel like you are trapped in this dead-end job. It's going nowhere. Your boss is a jerk. You feel, man, it's just, man, I wish I had something else. You may feel at that moment like you are nothing more than a bondservant or a slave at your job. You feel unrecognized. You feel insignificant. But I would say to you today that insignificance on this earth is not a hindrance to future payday of Jesus. 
That Jesus will reward no matter who you are, whether you are bondservant or you're free, whether you are slave or master, whether you are employee or employer, whether you are student or whether you are teacher. When you live to his glory and obey his commands through the power of the Spirit, he sees it all and he will indeed reward it all. I would ask you the question today, what gets you out of bed to go to work? For most people, the answer would be a paycheck. That's why I go to work. If I didn't need the money, I wouldn't work. I saw this uh, meme on Facebook last night, guy delivering pizzas in a Lamborghini. You know, like, you know, I mean, if I was driving a Lamborghini, I don't think I'd be working anymore, right? I'd just hang it up. Most of us go to work because we need the paycheck. Why do we need the paycheck? Well, in our context, because we can have, so we can have more stuff, right? We want to keep up with everybody. We want this, we want that. This is why we go to work. And I would say to you, if the only reward you work for is a paycheck, then you are living like an unbeliever, and your boss will be money. That's why Jesus said something like, you can't have two masters, you can't serve God and money. If your work is only about that paycheck, then you live like an unbeliever. Why not live instead for the reward of your Father who's in heaven? Remember the parable that Jesus told about the, the, the servants that were given the talents? One was given five, and one was given two, and one was given one. And they had an opportunity to, in, to invest and to take care of and to steward what God had given them. And, and Jesus then returns, and he goes to the one who he gave five, and he said, Master, you gave me five. I've invested your money, and I bring back to you five more. And Jesus says to him, well done, good and faithful servant. Isn't that a better reward than living paycheck to paycheck? Should not we live for the eternal reward of our Father, the, the accolades of Him? Number four, when Jesus is your boss, you treat those under your authority the way you would want to be treated. Verse nine says, do the same to them and stop your threatening. Now, Many masters in this day, even though I, I took some time to, to show you the difference between the slavery that we think of and the slavery of, of Paul's day, and even though that were the case, there still were lots of, of slave owners, masters, who were tyrants. They were abusive. They were horrible uh, to those who were under their responsibility. They threatened beatings. They oftentimes threaten sexual harassment. They, they threaten things like to, to sell the, uh, the, the man away from his wife and his children so that he would never see them again unless he towed the line. And this went on for sure. The gospel, though, changed the way that a master treated his servants. Paul here not only addresses the, the slave and says, Obey your earthly masters, but now he turns to the master. And remember, this is in the context of a local church. In this congregation who would have heard this public reading, he says to those who are slave owners, the very first thing he says to them is, do the same to them. After laying out all of this, he says, do the same to them. And his point is not, 
it, it, it is not, you know, the, the, to do away with everything, but he's saying to them, treat them the way you want to be treated. In other words, Paul is introducing here what Kent Hughes called the managerial golden rule. That those who are in authority over others should treat them the way they would want to be treated. If you want respect, then show respect. If you want sincerity and wholeheartedness, then be sincere with those whom you are over. If you want goodwill, then show goodwill. And that's what he's saying here is, is look at these, these people who are under your authority not as numbers, not as those who earn a paycheck, but look at them as people who have been made in the image of God and treat them accordingly. And in so doing, Paul is inadvertently letting, letting the gospel do the work of abolishing slavery. If you're a boss in this room, you have people under you, and I would say there are probably a lot of you in this room who have people under you. You also have people over you, but if you are in a position where there are people that are under your authority, your position does not give you permission to mistreat those beneath you. Your title does not give you permission to treat them like a number or like trash. As a Christian, as a believer, you are called to treat them with, as, with the respect that you would show to God. Listen to the words of Brian Chappell from his commentary. He said, If slaves and masters were obligated to demonstrate Christ to each other in a context of such great inequity, then how much more should we be willing to represent him in our work? If our employer is unfair, that's no excuse. That no more excuses us from acting with integrity than a slave was excused from Christ's likeness in a society of unfairness. If an employee is difficult, that gives a boss who represents Jesus no more option of retribution or arbitrariness than a master. Even where difficult economic or employment decisions must be made, all who represent Christ to one another must act with truthfulness, integrity, and love. What's the motivation for this then? If you are a master or a boss, then, okay, okay, I get it, pastor. I'm supposed to treat those under me the way that I would want to be treated, but why? Well, I'm glad you asked. The motivation there is in the second part of verse 9 where it says, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven. And with him there is no partiality. Meaning, you may think that you are the head honcho of the moment and that everyone comes and reports to you. But don't ever forget that there will come a day when you, like them, will stand before your boss, who is in heaven, and with him there is no partiality. In that moment, he will not ask you, what was your title? What was your position? What was your bank account or your portfolio? To the one who owns the cattle on a thousand hills, to the one who speaks and stars are flung in place and planets take their place and hold there, to the one who, who speaks to the waves and to the wind and they obey his very command, to the one who speaks to demons and they flee, to the one who speaks to dead and they get up, your status and your portfolio and your title mean nothing. He shows no partiality. The motivation for both the boss and the employee 
the teacher and the student is that one day we will stand before God. And if you are in Christ, then there is now no more condemnation for you. And it's not a moment to dread, but in that moment, I do believe that it will be some, it will be some series of loss that you will experience in that moment. You will stand before God and you will have things in that moment that will be stripped away from you that you thought were secure. And I would implore you, as well as myself, that we would approach our work knowing that Jesus is our boss and that he cares about our work. Isn't this the way that Jesus has served God the Father? If you look at Jesus and you apply this, and and this is really the the point of all of this as we walk through this, this house table, Jesus plays the role of the slave. He submits himself to the Father as master. And he serves the Father, even though he is completely equal with the Father. He is God of very God. He submits himself with humility to the Father, and he offers to him respect. And he offers to him wholeheartedness. He offers to him this, I'm expecting, Father, I'm going to walk into this knowing that what's, what's ahead of me is, is way better than what I'm going to endure in the moment. Looking to the cross, he despised the shame. He looks forward to this eternal reward. And Jesus not only takes the role of the slave or the employee, but he also takes the role of the master or the boss. And the way that he has served us is that he, he doesn't look down on us and say, well, you're just out of luck. You better start towing the line or I'm telling you, it's going to get real bad for you. He doesn't look at us and say, just, just pull yourself up by your bootstraps, suck it up, buttercup, and let's go. That's not the way Jesus talks to us. Instead, Jesus, as master over us, humbles himself to treat us the way that he would want to be treated. In fact, in that moment, he who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. He humbled him to the, himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. He doesn't lord it over us. Instead, he takes on flesh to be with us. And Jesus is our ultimate picture as to how we should approach our work every day. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you, God, that you are gracious to us. Lord, that you have loved us in our sin, that you continue to love us in our sin. Lord, that while we take your name and we trust on you completely, we still walk through this world and and there are times when we, we just flat out disobey and you allow us to come and cast ourselves on your mercy. Lord, I'm I'm so thankful for that. And God, I pray that every single one of us in this room, whether we are retired or working or a student, God, that we would see the station that we are in in life, and God, that we would indeed seek to glorify you in it. God, that you might show yourself to be altogether glorious through the way that we work. Because ultimately, Lord, there will be people that will, will make a decision, Lord, about you based on how we work. So God, I pray, Lord, that you would empower us, call us, convict us, that ultimately, Lord, you would glorify yourself 
through whatever station of life we are in. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to give you an opportunity to reflect on what's been said and to respond today. Perhaps today there's some conviction that's come over you about how you have uh, the attitude that you've displayed toward your boss or the ethic with which you have worked. That you have made less of God through the way that you work in your workplace. Maybe conviction is there and you need to take this moment and confess that to God and cast yourself on His mercy and then cry out for Him to empower you with His Spirit to walk in obedience into your workplace. Maybe you are here today as a boss and there are people that are under you and you have not shown them the respect that is due to them. You have, you have not seen them as someone created in the image of God for His glory. Instead, you have simply seen them as a number, someone underneath you. And maybe there's conviction that's come upon you today and you need to confess that to God and then pray and ask Him to fill you with His Spirit to, to empower you to walk in obedience into your place of work. Perhaps you are here today and you have never received the grace of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You've never placed your faith in him to save you from your sin. And for a preacher to stand up here and say these things, you know these things. You know that your life is not what it should be. You know there is emptiness. You know ultimately there is disobedience there. And today maybe you've come to realize that there is punishment that you deserve. And I want to stand before you today and say to you, you don't have to stay in that place of punishment coming for you. Because Jesus went to the cross for you. And he he went to the cross so that you might turn from your sin and place your faith completely in him. And he says that when you do that, when you cast yourself on him, he's your only hope to be made right with God and have your sins forgiven. When you do that, that your sins will be completely removed. That there will be now no condemnation against you. That even the righteousness of Christ that he earned through a completely obedient life will be placed into your account. And so God in that moment by trusting Christ not only sees you as not guilty, he sees you as completely righteous. And if that's the case for you today, then throw yourself on Jesus. Cast yourself on his mercy.
This time of teaching is brought to you by Abner Creek Baptist Church. For more information, visit www.abnercreekbaptist.com.